1: This is a story which, like all the best ones, has goodies and baddies, plenty of mystery, and a happy ending. It starts with Ray, a bus driver who used to drive the number seven double-decker, but who fell ill and then got worse, went to hospital and got C. diff, a killer bug, but a killer bug that didn't kill Ray. Ray was saved by some good shit, not in the metaphorical sense, not good shit in the way that Let's say Cheech and Chong, or come to think of it, Elon Musk might think of it. Not that kind of good shit, but actual good shit. A faecal microbial transplant, a solution of feces inserted in his gut that turned the medical treatment of Ray's C. diff around. The FMT, the good shit solution, is part of a revolution in medical science, potentially, in fact, a new age in our understanding of the human body that will unlock a series of revolutions in drugs and healthcare, food and nutrition, well-being and even happiness. I'm the son of a doctor who for too long has been embarrassed by what passes for popular journalism when it comes to medicine. But there's reason to believe that the gut microbiome the universe of bacteria that lives within us really is the next most promising frontier in the human understanding of ourselves. Obviously, you shouldn't take a word of this seriously coming from me. I'm James Harding. I'm an editor and co-founder here at Tortoise, and I studied history. But for months now, James Kinross, a consultant colorectal surgeon at St. Mary's Hospital in London, a lecturer in colorectal surgery at Imperial College, a researcher into bowel and colon cancer, and a student of the gut microbiome, has been working on a project to help us understand the universe within. James, or as we know him here in the newsroom, the bum doctor came to our newsroom six months ago for a think in one of our open news meetings to discuss the gut, its relationship with health and medicine. And on the back of it, we commissioned him, well, to boldly go into the gut microbiome. James, let's get to
2: the good news first. What did that FMT, what did that good shit do for Ray? I must thank you for the, for, for the greatest possible introduction <laughs> I've ever had. My children now will <laughs> refer to me as the bum doctor forever. So what what Ray had was a, um, an oral fecal microbial transplant, which in English means we put a plastic tube into his nose and we fed that tube down into the gastric stomach and then we gave him some uh, faeces that we'd taken from a different human being and we had treated and screened to rule out all of the nasty bad bugs that we think might cause infection uh, and we infused that into his gut. Uh, and it did two things. It it completely reprogrammed the ecology of his gut, and it changed the sorts of metabolites that those bacteria produce, and those metabolites killed a pathogen in his gut called Clostridium difficile, or difficile if you're Italian, and he got better
1: all right well let's go through all of those things because there are a few that you're going to have to explain to me firstly what is the
2: gut where does it begin where does it end well technically the gut is everything from your mouth to your bottom and everything in between all right and there are lots of people now who are talking about the gut microbiome
1: and you hear people talk about it as the second brain this new frontier in science
2: before we get to any of that what actually is the gut microbiome okay so a microbiome is the sum of all the genetic material that belongs to all of the bugs in that niche or ecosystem so you can have an oceanic microbiome you can have a microbiome that exists within the gut of a termite and unbelievably people study it and the gut is just one microbiome that we have in our body so a a microbiome is if you like a bacterial neighborhood correct and what is a bacteria So a bacteria is a single-celled organism that is probably the most abundant life-form on the planet Earth.
1: Let's start with understanding the microbiome itself. How, okay. how did
2: we discover it? I love the fact that I say we. Okay. How did, yes, how did you and I discover the microbiome? Yeah. So like all good things in science, we didn't just discover this yesterday. Every generation of scientists thinks they're the first person to do something. Of course, you open a textbook we've known about bacteria for ages. The first bacterial life forms were discovered with light microscopy in about 1670. And we've studied bugs for hundreds of years. The difference has come really since around 2005 when Jeff Gordon did a similar work in obesity and we started to get serious about applying very high-throughput genomic sequencing technology linked to big, big computers that we could start to understand the biology of whole ecosystems at once. Right, That was the game changer. And I've begin- been wondering to myself whether or not we're getting overexcited about the gut microbiome,
1: even as I just begin to yeah. understand it, which is a little like arriving on the edge of the African savanna. You look out and you're like, my goodness, look at all these yeah. life forms. But in the end, I know they're different zebra, but they are just a lot of zebra. Is, is it the case that we're understanding something different about the nature of each of these different bacteria?
2: What, what can the microbiome do for us? <laughs> what can it do for me? So uh, you've raised a very important point. So there's two really important things you need to know about the microbiome, right? The first thing is is that it explains the biological variation between you and me in a way that we didn't understand. So you and I have 99.9% of the same genes that code that code us, right? So we mapped it all out. There'd be some small variations, but really not very many. You and I probably share in our guts somewhere between one and ten percent of the same bacteria they're hugely variable. And some of these bugs have really overwhelming and important things that influence our health and some of them don't. They're kind of passengers, they, they hang out and they are your zebras of the same same species but with different stripes. The second thing that you really need to know about the microbiome and the reason everyone is so excited about it is you can change it, you can modify it. So what can it actually do in the treatment of diseases? So. The really interesting thing is not what it can do in the treatment of diseases, it's what it can do in the prevention of diseases, right, so that's been the big breakthrough for us. It's about trying to understand how bacteria cause disease. Now, if you go back to the 1800s, the 1900s, the turn of the century, we were obsessed with pathogens because pathogens killed you. What is a pathogen? A pathogen is a bad bacteria or bug associated or which causes a disease, right, so tuberculosis, kills millions of people still to this day actually. And because that killed everybody, that's what we worried about. The breakthrough has been actually these bacteria, they don't just cause um, acute infections and things that kill us quickly, they cause chronic disease, things that kill us slowly over a lifetime. Such as? Obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, um, mental health problems, gut dysfunction, inflammatory bowel disease, arthritis. And the reason that they're important is because... Bacteria do a couple of really critical things. First of all is that they educate, train and maintain your immune system. Your gut is the biggest immune organ that you have. So
1: James, that's potentially
2: amazing, right? If I understand it, it's potentially a
1: means of addressing obesity mental health problems all of these chronic chronic illnesses but it's not an answer in itself right it's not as though these fmts these kind of shit solutions are going to be the things that are going to fix those
2: health problems or are they so uh, you can look at this philosophically, right? So if, if you look at this as at a societal level, we know what makes people obese, right? You don't need to know anything about the microbiome if you want to prevent obesity. You legislate, you tax, you change health policy, and you, you use nudges to get people active. But that's really hard to do and politicians are resistant to it or you change people's behavior that's even harder like people know sometimes what they need to do to stay healthy but it's just so hard to change your behavior now if you take a really extreme example like malnutrition malnutrition is it's 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 an overwhelmingly difficult problem to fix in some elements of the third world because not only do you need to change policy and a behaviour but you need money and you need resource which just isn't there. So the microbiome then becomes quite important because it's a way to kind of reverse engineer problems. Maybe you can bypass the, the major challenges that we have and create new solutions that can fix those those problems. Such as? So if you go back to 2005 there's a kind of a big wig in the microbiome science a guy called Jeff Gordon based out in Washington and he did this sort of interesting study where he took twins identical twins who one of which was obese and one of which was lean and he transposed some of the feces from that obese twin into a lean mouse and the mouse becomes obese right you give it the same food but the phenotype of the mouse changes the the physical properties of the, the, the rat they changed he became foul she became fat so what that said was is that you can give someone the same food the same intake they can have the same genes but if you change the bugs you change you change the type of disease that the patient has right and it's the same for malnutrition and and you can do the same for diabetes and you can do the same for even you can even apparently i didn't know this but you can make a rat depressed and you can make a rat less depressed by giving them probiotics and so yeah so okay let's talk about probiotics because i i guess okay. the
1: thing that i'm confused by is yeah so i begin to understand what the gut is I understand what the microbiome is, this neighborhood of different bacteria. And I begin to understand, too, that the microbiome is, if you like, the backstage pass to all of these different chronic conditions, a way of getting inside them and beginning to address them. What I don't understand is, will the medical treatments change, i.e., are we now programming medicines to interact with that collection of bacteria, or are we
2: changing the mix of bacteria to address the illnesses? So that is probably the most important question I think that modern medicine has to address. So historically, we have designed and made drugs to treat human biology. I think the shift will be that we will design and make drugs to treat the gut microbiome. So we started with the story of Ray, right? So Ray had a fecal microbiome transplant. That's a pretty blunt tool because you're basically saying, look, we don't understand the fine detail of what's going on. We can't really... Um, make sense of it. So we're just going to change the whole shooting match, we're going to just change absolutely everything. What we're trying to do is say, well hang on a minute, what are the actual biological processes that underpin why that FMT is successful? Because if we can work those out, we can make a drug for it. So if you go back to the obesity experiment with Jeff Gordon, the significance of that was, is that the shift there is chemistry. It's a biochemical reaction. If you know that, you make a drug. If you make a drug, you're in the money because actually, suddenly, I don't need to change people's diet, I don't need to give them medicines that are going to treat the consequences of being obese, we're going to treat the the, the core cause of what's going on here. What
1: you're describing is a change if i understand it right yeah. james it is a change in the way in which we design medicines yeah. instead of designed to treat our biology correct to treat the microbiome the implication of that is that the medicines we've currently got that treat our biology yeah. are not as effective as they could be
2: well uh, so so what you're what you're suggesting is that they're not very precise would be another way of saying it and that's that's exactly right there's been a whole series of very very interesting experiments but one of them was on a new class of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors now these are drugs that effect signalling within within cancer cells. But these are billion-dollar drugs. They have had a lot of investment, and they, are, they, they promise really transformative outcomes in diseases like melanoma. Melanoma was a death sentence a decade ago. Suddenly, you can treat it because of these drugs. Now, if you put these drugs into, uh, all these drugs were developed in mice, like all, that's what all of the work does, because that's how dr- all drug development happens. You, so if you take two genetically identical mice from two laboratories grown on different sides of the world, the drug industry, until quite recently, just assumed that they were identical, because they were genetically identical, and that was what we understood to be the truth. It's completely wrong. They have completely different sets of bacteria. And therefore, when you initiate melanoma in those mice, they respond completely differently. The melanoma progresses and grows at completely different rates. So here's the deal. So what they did with those two mice, right, is they did a fecal transplantation. And they took the feces from the mouse that had a, a good response, and they gave it to the mouse that had a bad response. And the mouse that had a bad response response got better, like they did better. And then what they did was they said, Well, okay, fecal transplant's quite quite a kind of rough and ready thing. Let's, let's try and identify the exact bug, they found the exact bug. And then they just gave the probiotic. And what they found was that the probiotic signaled to the immune system that it influenced something called T-cell function. And the single, the single bacteria was as effective in these mice as the billion-dollar drug. Right, for. can I ask you, forgive me, this is gonna be like one yeah. of those
1: talking radio shows <laughs> where I, I call it yeah. with a bunch of numbers. Yeah. What is the gut-brain axis?
2: Okay, so there is a bidirectional discussion that goes on between the gut and the brain. Now we have actually known about this since about the 80s because the gut is able to influence hormones that signal to the brain, but actually it turns out the gut bugs themselves produce a whole bunch of neurotransmitters uh, and they can also communicate with the brain through the nervous system wiring that we all have. So there is actually a nerve that runs from your, the base of your brain down into your gut called the vagus nerve and it turns out it can send signals up and down the vagus nerve. So there's
3: a lot of interest.
0: From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite.
3: What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon. But I want to know... Was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostras, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.
2: interested in this because that might be really important for things like neurodegenerative diseases or disease that affect us in later life or maybe even
1: neurodegenerative things like dementia
2: well things like diseases that that literally destroy and break down the nervous system dementia is something different dementia is something different because dementia is is a disease of of aging right it's kind of a disease that we have typically in in later life and one of the theories through which dementia occurs is that we deposit proteins in the brain that really shouldn't be there it turns out the bugs make amyloid right they make these proteins now it's a massive leap to say that the microbiome causes dementia or causes parkinson's disease or causes you know neurocognitive decline I, i'm not saying that what i'm saying is that we have a completely new avenue to explore in tr- when we're trying to understand the causation and it's really likely that these bugs have something to do with it. All right. What do you think of probiotics? In fact, what are probiotics? So, probiotics are live bacteria. They're effectively classed as foods, which have a proven health benefit. And the health benefit's the really important bit. And are they true? Is it, are they good? So, the answer is, is that probiotics are good, right? They have. There is lots of evidence to suggest that they are beneficial in specific circumstances for example in you know traveler's diarrhea right it works when i go to india i take a probiotic when my patients get gut dysfunction after surgery i give them a probiotic it works it's amazing but taking a probiotic doesn't make you live longer it's not going to make you healthier and it's not going to have miracle cures in the way that perhaps sometimes we think it might and what about antibiotics how bad are they for your gut so antibiotics are probably one of the most important environmental forces that have been applied to our gut and well since 19 whenever it was 28 when Fleming you know discovered it so, so the first thing to say is that if you get sick if you're really sick and your doctor says you need to pro- an antibiotic take the antibiotic right I don't want you listening to this and thinking oh god I can't ever have an antibiotic but the problem with antibiotics is is that it was so transformative to modern medicine like without antibiotics I couldn't do my job as a surgeon. I couldn't do it. My my mortality rate would be astronomically high. So it's an absolute fundamental cornerstone of antibiotics. And what happened was that we just became completely dependent on them and we handed them out like Smarties. And then what happened was was that we started to manufacture antibiotics in massive massive numbers and then we just started to they escaped, they leached out into our water supply and into our food. So it's not just that we take too much as doctors, it's then there in everything that we consume. Now Antibiotics are a natural thing. Bacteria make antibiotics; it's part of their natural defence system. So they're in the soil. They're kind of they're, they're kind of there anyway. But in a, in the space of you know seventy or eighty years, we have
3: transformed human ecology largely because of antibiotics. you take an antibiotic; it has a significant impact on your gut microbiome.
1: And you say we've transformed human ecology in the mm. last 70, 80 years, in the last mm. century. When people talk about the world, they have two really different views. Mm. There are a group of people, if you like, the sort of Greta Thunberg yeah. activists who say, actually, we've destroyed the planet we live on. Mm. And then there are likes of Steven Pinker who are... Arguing that actually this has been an extraordinary century of progress, we're living through a modern enlightenment. Yeah. If you s- turn that lens inward and you look at our guts, how's it going in there? <laughs> Are we getting better um, or worse?
2: If you look at human health over the last hundred years, objectively it's got immeasurably better. Like we live longer, we don't die of pneumonia, we've sorted out some big problems that that killed a lot of people, right? The problem is, is that living longer doesn't necessarily mean you live healthier, right? It doesn't mean the quality of your life is improving. And when you start doing things that perturb or disrupt a really complicated, delicate ecosystem, there are unintended consequences of doing that. And that's exactly what's happened to us. That's why we have an obesity epidemic, a diabetes epidemic. It's why we have um, rates of autism that we can't explain. It's why we have inflammatory bowel disease and cancer rates rising in young people. Millennials aren't healthy, they just are living longer, right? So we think a major part of that is because there has been a fundamental shift in the way that our bugs work and the type of bugs that we have in our gut.
1: And sorry James, you say IBS, you refer to autism that goes unexplained, you talk about diabetes and obesity, Are you saying that the microbiome is proving less able to deal with that or more able? What's happening I- in the microbiome
0: yeah. that,
2: that links to those, that higher instance of those conditions yeah. and illnesses? So it's, it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of us losing important bits of our microbiome that had really important functions that maintained our, uh, you know, our immune system, for example. And why have we lost them? Well, because they have either been they're in, they're either not able to survive under the environmental pressure upon which they're placed. So, for example, antibiotics, as we've just talked about that, yeah. but also our westernised diet, the fact that we don't let our you know our, our kids play in the dirt, that sort of thing. Or it's and does that
1: really make a difference? Does playing in the dirt? Does playing in the dirt good for
2: you? Well, so there is a theory called uh, the gut hygiene hypothesis, which basically says bacteria educate our immune system. And if in the very early stages of life, the immune system does not get exposure to the right type of bugs and the right type of antigens, it's not properly wired to function normally. And that's why we get high rates of asthma, allergy, ATP, these sorts of inflammatory conditions. Because our lifestyles are too sterilized? Our lifestyles lifestyles are 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 too sterilized. So we don't, we literally don't play in the dirt. Now, if, if you can, we can actually study the microbiome back tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of years so we can trace it in like the dental plaques of Neanderthals and so we can track it and you can track how it changes with each kind of human revolution and how it co-speciates and it was kind of plodding along every so often something big would happen like we would invent farming right and we would eat more starch and it would have to adapt right but it kind of did that every 10,000 years or so and it kind of coped. In 150 years everything has changed beyond all recognition it's been it's been subjected to such severe and um, constant environmental pressure it it can no longer adapt it can no longer cope with what we present to it that the crap that we eat for example so yeah the shift has been big we've got not enough of the good stuff and too much of the bad stuff very broadly so there's a landscape inside
1: us that like the landscape outside us has been if not blasted, but certainly a little scorched.
2: Yeah, definitely scorched, yeah, for sure. So how do I respond to that? I mean, I know this is really yeah. crass, but no, what should thing. I eat? <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, there's good news, right, is that you can change your microbiome by changing your diet. The challenge is, is that because there's so much variation, what you should eat is probably different to what I should eat if we were trying to reach the same goal, right? We're both very lean, muscly, (laughs) handsome men, right? So we wouldn't need to do that, but let's say we wanted to, you know, to reduce our cholesterol, for example. We might need to have subtly different foods to do that because the the way that we metabolize food is gonna be so different. That's called personalized nutrition, right? But we can make broad statements. We can say, look, a westernized diet is Really, not great for our guts. We have too much protein, too much fat, not nearly enough fiber. We eat too much, you know, fructose, too much refined sugar. We don't exercise. We get Uber Eats, Uber Takeaways. We don't, you know, we can say all of those things and we can correct that. So, if I can tell you to do one thing for your gut, it's to have 50 grams of fiber a day. What is fiber? spinach is fiber Spe- spinach is fiber is bread fiber well bread can be fiber yeah but you've got to have the right kind of bread so you want a nice a nice biscuits
3: maybe yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely okay well, cakes i'm going to assume that yeah. our listeners happily yeah. know what
2: fiber yeah. is they know more B- than B- me B- so when we've done studies looking at african populations so rural african populations so you consume massive amounts of fiber the, the metabolites that that, that, that fibre produces are really good for the gut. They're anti-carcinogenic, they're anti-inflammatory and they help you along. Um, and when you change them onto an Americanized diet, those just go away and they go away within two weeks. And they're replaced with abundances of kind of less good metabolites like bile acids, which we know are carcinogenic and we know which cause inflammation. So this is like a massive oversimplification. But generally, if, if you can take one thing away from this podcast, it's just put more fiber in your diet. It's incredibly good for everything. Diabetes risk, cardiovascular disease risk, cancer risk. It just, it's really good. And we've known it for years, and we just completely ignored it. And describe then, 25 years from
1: now, if that's a reasonable time frame, a generation if you like, yeah what will our then, I suppose, much greater and better understanding of the
2: gut microbiome have done to medicine? So I think there's two answers to that question. The first is a really, is a doctor's answer because doctors, I treat disease. Like I'm a cancer surgeon. Most of the disease I treat is preventable. That's a really depressing thing. Most of colorectal cancer is is preventable. As a society, are we going to move to a prevention-based society, which is what the health service is trying to do now, actually, and really invest in trying to stop these chronic diseases ever happening in the first place? Or are we going to just focus on constantly trying to treat this impossible ever-growing mountain of disease that we can't manage and of course it has to be the former and that's where the microbiome is so important and so if you ask me one thing what do i think is going to be the most important thing it's going to be understanding the maternal microbiome and how the microbiome assembles and is structured in early life because it's my belief that that is the most critical time to intervene if we can set that (coughs) metabolic tone in the very first 100 days of life, probably the implications for the rest of that individual's life are going to be really, really significant. Length of life and quality of life? Length and quality. Because I think what happens is is that, for example, if your microbiome is severely perturbed, so disrupted and abnormal, in the first couple of years of life, I think what happens is you just get set on a metabolic clock. Uh, well, let's go back to the happy ending okay. I promised to Ray <laughs> yeah. okay. and his FMT. Yeah, what's the lesson of Ray? Is it the case that sooner or later I'm just going to have to eat some shit? No, that's not the lesson. the le- the The lesson here is is that I think it's a positive lesson. I think it is an optimistic lesson. I think the lesson is is that we have discovered an entirely new way to diagnose and treat disease and we've got a completely new resource for drug discovery that didn't exist you know 15 20 years ago ray's treatment gives us hope because he would have died he would absolutely have died and and uh it's amazing that he's here but also we are going to get better and better and better at refining how we give fmt and we're going to ultimately move away from fmt into giving single strains or single bugs or we're going to engineer those bacteria and you're not going to get f james you're going to be all right <laughs> i promise you i won't give you an fmt but, you're, but yeah. you
1: but you the lesson is not that you're going to eat good shit but you are going to eat the goodness
2: that resides in your shit. exactly right so we need so i think you know i've talked about this a little bit but when you think about vaccinating your kids, we talk about herd immunity, right? So for an intervention to work with vaccination, everyone's got to take it. Because if one person gets the disease, well, you know, the vaccine doesn't work and everyone dies, right? That's why vaccinating your kids is important. We need to think more like that for the treatment of our microbiome. We need to think about it really at a sort of societal level. Because you can eat good good stuff, right? But if there's still antibiotics floating around everywhere that you that you live and work and then it's still going to perturb your gut microbiome so that's why you can live in london you can go to the gym every day you can eat good food but you can still suffer from chronic disease it's not fair james i
1: wanted to say thank you to you i'd say genuinely thank you because um if you're listening to this you're probably either trialing out tortoise or you're one of our tortoise members and when we started out we said we were going to try and do news differently we we're going to try and understand these things that are that are changing the world the way we live not just breaking news and a story like the gut microbiome is almost impossible to do if you're a standard journalist you can't just call up and uh, and uh, and report that one out And so one of the things we discovered was if you were going to try and do a story like this, you were going to have to ask people with a depth of expertise. Mm -hmm. And I felt all the way through, because if you're listening, uh, James and I and uh, fellow editors have been working on a really in-depth look at the gut microbiome, which we're going to be publishing on the Tortoise website and in the Tortoise app. But we've been working on this for some months, and you've been unbelievably patient with a series of questions even more idiotic than the ones (laughs) that I asked you. Um, So thank you for this. Thank you for talking to us. But thank you also for providing us, if you like, a journey into the universe that lives inside us. Um, It's one of those stories that really does make you optimistic and excited about what might happen next and better understand not just the world but our very insides. James Kinross, thank you
3: very much. Thank you. What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know, was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostras, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.